Good evening, everyone. Uh, my name is Mwedi, um, and I lead discipleship for our congregation. Um, uh, before I start off with uh, this evening's word, uh, I have a, a couple of confessions um, that I need to make. And just really humble myself um, before all you guys. Um, the first one is that uh, when Anna was preaching last week, um, she told me that she watched the rugby, you know, the previous night, and then she was so tired um, having to wake up early in the morning to preach in the morning service, then preach in the evening again. Um, and I judged her, and I'm like, oh, what a rookie mistake. You know, you're just supposed to go to sleep so that you can be refreshed and have energy. Um, and then in the week, I was with Abraham and Bernard. We were having a coffee. It was great. And then they asked me at the end of our coffee that, hey, will you be watching the rugby? I'm like, no, I'm preaching on Sunday. So I need to rest. I need to um, be ready for Sunday morning and Sunday evening. Um, but who's the clown who ended up watching rugby um, after all this? So, and I'm sorry I judged you. Um, I was very quick to judge. Um, but it, it was just one of those moments I just could not miss. Uh, and it was like five to nine, and I was ready to like, okay, I'm going to go pray, right? I need to prepare my heart. I need to hear from the Lord. And then my wife was like, hey, the rugby's on. And then there was the rugby, and then I was like, ah. And I was like, go see, see, get lit. And I was like, yes, I was in there. <laughs> um, and then the second confession was that, you know, I was, I was a bit nervous um, about our topic um, simply because... Um, it was, we were supposed to be preaching on anger this evening, but the Lord is doing something else. Um, but I, I was nervous that the Springboks were going to lose. Then I was going to preach to an angry audience. <laughs> and so now it was just 50-50. It's either going to be like a therapy, a therapy session or an equipping session. So I didn't know um, what was going to happen. But thankfully, the Lord heard everyone's prayers and the Springboks won. Um, <laughs> Um, and I just want to ask for some grace with this evening's sermon. It's not because of the rugby. It's not because I'm tired. Um, um, I think in worship, we sense that the Lord wants to speak on something else other than anger. Um, and so the Lord will speak to all of us. <laughs> and so we are starting a new sermon series on emotions, right? Um, for the next few weeks, we're going to be speaking about emotions. And so... One of the things about emotions is that emotions um, are like the lights on a dashboard, right? So when you, when you switch on a car, there are these lights that go on. Like a lot of people don't know what these lights mean, but the lights are there. And they are the lights, right? And then when you start the car, the lights just, you know, disappear. Then you drive and it's great and then, you know, things are amazing. Sometimes you light the car. I mean, you, yeah, you switch on your car. The, the lights go on. And then when you start the car, then there's this light that just remains. It doesn't switch off. It, it tells you that there is something wrong with the car, and then this thing needs to be checked. Um, and now, depending on your financial situation, um, you know, sometimes you make that decision to say, you know what, I'm just going to keep going. Um, because also we've developed a, a discernment as car owners that you listen to your car, you listen to the noises that it makes. Sometimes it makes very cheap noises, and you're like, okay, it can keep going. Sometimes it makes very expensive noises, and you're like, yeah, 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 no, this now, it needs to get fixed. And there are times when it makes the expensive noise, uh, and you can hear it, and then you just decide, actually, I'm just going to play the radio and blast. Um, I don't need this kind of negativity in my life. Um, but then your car dies in the middle of the road. And what ends up happening in that moment is that you are putting your life at risk and you're putting the lives of the people on the road as well at risk because your car died in the middle of the road. 
or you are, you are like me and you drive an oldish car, um, the next picture, um, and when you switch on your... When you, when you switch on the car, there's no lights whatsoever. So you don't even know if something is wrong. Um, and then you start, and then again, you have to listen. Is something wrong? Is something not wrong? Um, I used to drive this car. Guys, were so bad where even the fuel gauge didn't work. And so I had to do a lot of maths. Uh, every time I drove, I'm like, okay, I poured a full tank on Sunday. I drove to here, here, and here. I should have about a quarter tank. should get me to where it's going. So thankfully, it didn't, stuck, uh, it didn't get stuck at any time. But that's sometimes us with our emotions, simply because we lack the emotional uh, intelligence and the emotional understanding that we become like this car that we're driving and we don't know what's really happening in our hearts and in our souls. Um, and earlier on in the year, I was driving in, in my car. Um, we were driving on the R21. We headed to the hospital. We're going to see my mom. Lunchtime traffic. Cars are going to the airport. Cars are coming from the airport. It is just busy. 120 on the highway. I'm going. Cars going, and then this, 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 I look at the speedometer, and the speed is going down, but my foot is like full on the accelerator, and I'm just like, okay, something is wrong now. So I, 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 I put the indicator on, and I move from the fast lane towards the slower lanes, um, and then the car eventually comes to a halt. Um, it was a, quite a nerve-wracking time because I'm there with my wife and both of my kids, um, and now everyone is stressed because there's trucks and there's no one giving you an opportunity, and now I have to go put out the triangle. Now I feel like, oh, man, this car, these cars are going to hit me. It was just a really risky situation. And when we aren't aware of our emotions, uh, when we aren't working through our emotions, we end up in these risky situations where we are hurt and we are hurting those around us simply because we do not have uh, understanding of our emotions. And so my hope and my prayer is that not only we'll be equipped with how to handle our emotions better uh, in this sermon series, but we'll trust the Lord with our emotions. Um, we look through our scripture, Genesis to Revelation, and you see God is quite an emotional God. He experiences a range of emotions, and because we are created in his image, we end up also having those same emotions. And so God uh, is the great counselor, so he knows best how we ought to handle our emotions. And so this evening's sermon is going to come from Matthew 18, from verses 21 until 35. So Matthew 18 from verses 21 until 35. And so we'll be looking at the parable of the unforgiving servant. And so the emotion that we are going to discuss this evening is unforgiveness. Unforgiveness. So Matthew 18 from verses 21 um, until the end of the chapter. So can you please stand with me as we read the word. Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times. As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 70 times seven. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me, and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. 
So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw, that, saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed. And they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should you not have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly father will do, every, will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you are here with us this evening. We thank you, Father, that we have access to your forgiveness. We thank you that we have access to your love. We thank you that we have access to your presence. And Father, I pray for each and every single heart that we would surrender our hearts to you so that you can be the one to counsel us through our emotions. Father, as I preach this evening, I ask that you would speak through me. Whatever thoughts, whatever ideas, I surrender them to you. And may you have authority in this time. I am a yielded vessel. Speak through me. Speak through me, Father. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Amen. So the parable starts off by, by Peter coming up um, to Jesus and asking Jesus, how often should we forgive our brothers who sin against us? Should we forgive them seven times? And Jesus sets the bar high and says, you will forgive them 70, seven times 70. Meaning you will forgive them a lot of times. Forgiveness is not just a once-off thing, but it's something that is continuously happening again and again and again and again. Because when we forgive people, we're not only forgiving them um, of what they may have done to us uh, or the hurts they have done to us, but we are also forgiving the consequences of what they did, right? So one of the things I've had to journey with in regards to forgiveness um, and in terms of just forgiving my father, I think I shared in a previous sermon about my father um, disowning me, is that I had to forgive him of that situation. But then it was awkward when, you know, my, my father obviously passed away uh, and now I'm sitting with this bitterness and this resentment um, and there's just a lot of hurt and a lot of pain in my, in my heart and realizing, man, there's still some more things that I need to forgive, right? And it... it peaked around the time when I was getting married. So in my culture, uh, we have Lobola, and so Lobola is usually led by the father um, because he's going to the other family and he's going to ask the other family that, hey, my son would love to marry your daughter. Um, could you release your daughter so that she can marry my son? And there wasn't anyone who would do that for me. Um, even my father's brothers um, just were not keen to do that simply because they had to take up that role. And so now I was sitting with, a lo with, with resentment and I had to realize that, shucks, not only have I, do I have to forgive my father for what he did, now I have to forgive him for the consequences because now I don't have someone who's going to represent me. I don't have someone who's going to stand for me and go and ask for me because I really want to get married. Like, I have this, this is an amazing girl, but there's no one to stand there for me. And so I have to now forgive um, of the consequences of what has happened. And that is the same with forgiveness, is that Jesus is not challenging us to just forgive someone once. Not forgive, uh, challenging us not to forgive someone seven times, but 70 times seven. And the thing with unforgiveness is that unforgiveness usually le leads to bitterness. A lot of the times when we are bitter against someone, there's a conversation we end up having with that person in our heads where we wish we can say certain things, where we wish uh, we can behave a certain way towards that person. Um, but unfortunately, we don't have that opportunity because the conversation is happening in our heads and it's not happening 
with said person. Sometimes we lack the courage to actually go to a person and tell them, hey, you hurt me. Hey, you caused me pain. And this is what your actions have done. And so I want to bring this up to you so that you are aware of what you have done. And that's what Jesus is also challenging us to, is that we need to bring our emotions not only just to him, but to bring them to the person who hurt us so that we can see forgiveness happen. You don't have to wait for an apology from someone in order for, them, for, in order for you to forgive them. Because in the scripture, it is very clear that forgiveness is not contingent on an apology. It is contingent on you making a decision to forgive. And I know you're sitting there, but you don't know what this person did to me. They really hurt me. They really caused a lot of pain and I need an apology from them. But are you willing to obey Jesus and forgive even though you have not received an apology from that person? Are you willing to let go of, 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 of the pain and the hurt because Jesus is calling you to let go of the pain and the hurt because he sees what is doing to your heart. He sees what is doing to your soul. He sees what is doing in your life. When we harbor bitterness and unforgiveness, we end up projecting those emotions on the next person because all of a sudden we enter into a new relationship with doubts and mistrust already because of what happened in previous relationships. And unfortunately, that's not fair to the next person because now they have to basically work to be forgiven by you for something that they didn't even do but that was done by someone else. And so Jesus, to drive this point home, to call us to a higher standard of forgiveness, he says, therefore the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle the account with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And so when you do the conversion of 10,000 talents to uh, the, 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 the currency today, it is about, it's somewhere between a billion and two billion rand. And so this guy owed the king a lot of money. I don't know about you guys, but if I owe someone a billion or two billion, I don't even know where to start in terms of paying them off. The natural response is that I will go to them and tell them, hey, look at my payslip, look at my bank statements, look at where I live, look at my situation. I cannot afford to pay you back. And this is what the servant did. He went to the king and he begged and he pleaded because the king wanted to take his family, he wanted to take his kids, he wanted to take all his belongings as well. And he said, that is such a high price to pay and I can't afford to pay it back. Please forgive me of my debts. Forgive me of, for what I owe you. And so the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of the servant released him and forgave him the debt. Have patience with me. It's, it's going to take him forever to pay a billion rand. When I look, um, for instance, for me personally, when I look at my financial situation, and if someone said, hey, you, I owe you a billion rand, I'm like, man, I'll have to work for the rest of my life. My kids will take on the debt as well. My grandkids will take on the debt as well. Simply because it is too much to pay. And I think the king realized that this debt is too much to pay. So therefore, I will forgive you. So then the servant goes on in his life, forgiven of his debt. There's relief now. Um, the, there's no black mark on, his, on the credit bureau. He can apply for credit cards again. Um, he can open clothing accounts. He can get a contract with Vodacom. Um, life is amazing. 
And then he goes and he goes and then he bumps into someone he knows. He bumps into, say, Estia. And then when he bumps into Estia and he says the following. Um, so his fellow servant, uh, wait, wait, wait. But when the same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii, which is like 200 rand. And he demanded that pay me back my money. I want each and every single cent. And Estian begged and he pleaded with me. And he's like, bro, I know I owe you 200 rand. Give me time. I'll pay you back your money. Um, I'm in a transitional season. Life is happening. So I just need to sort out my finances and I will pay you back. But then I was just like, nah, I don't care about your transition. Go to jail right now. Go to jail until you can pay me back my money. And then he took the guy and he threw him in jail. Which also doesn't make sense um, from that guy's perspective. Because if I'm, I'm throwing Estian in jail, when will he get the time to sort out his situation so that he can pay me back his money? Now must I go to Talia and ask him to figure this out? It's just a weird one. And so this is what that servant did. He threw him in jail until such a time that he paid back this money. But then Jonathan and, and, and Marika heard about this and they were like, no, 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 no. Not you are being unreasonable. How? Can you throw Estian in jail when you owed Anru a couple of billion and he forgave you of that debt? And so they went back to Anru and like, Anru, this is what this guy did. He threw Estian in jail after you have forgiven him his debt. He refuses to forgive Estian of his 200 rand debt compared to your billion rand debt. And Anru was like, no ways. What nonsense is this? Then he comes and he takes me and he throws me in jail. Simply because he, the, the, there was an injustice that was done in that moment. Because I forgave you of so much, yet you refused to forgive Estian of so little. You need to go to jail. Right now. And then the parable ends with this. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. One of the things that we need to realize about unforgiveness is that first and foremost, we have sinned against God. God is a holy and a righteous God. When we sin, sin demands punishment. When we sin, it demands a payment to be made. Things need to be made right with God. And because we are a sinful people, because we are incapable of holiness and righteousness in and of ourselves, we owe God a huge debt. In fact, it goes as far as to say that God um, has his wrath set out against us because simply because we have done him wrong. Each and every single one of us, we have done God wrong. And where there is sin, payment needs to be made. Someone must pay. And unfortunately, if God pours out his wrath on us, we are unable to satisfy that wrath. He will pour his wrath on us. He will kill us. But still, it will still remain simply because of our sin and the lives that we have lived are not enough to satisfy that payment. And so God, being fully aware of this, he sent his son Jesus to die on the cross for our sins. In the Old Testament, <coughs> in the Old Testament, there was a system that was set up by God. Is that you had to take a lamb. Um, if you couldn't afford a lamb, you had to take a dove. 
um, and you had to uh, bring a grain offering as well. You had to bring an oil offering as well. There were different kinds of offerings that you had to continuously, continuously bring before God because we are continuously sinning, right? And so we have to bring these offerings before God, and then God, and then the, the the high priest would take that offering and would put it before God, and it would burn, and it would be a pleasing aroma to the Lord because there's a payment being made. Imagine if that system was still in place today. That means every single one of us must come to church every single Sunday with a sheep so that we can pay for our sins every single Sunday. I don't know about you, um, if you guys know how much a sheep costs, but I know. Um, it's cost somewhere between 2,500 and 3,000 rand. So every week, you as a student, you who are starting out their working life, you have to find somewhere between 2,500 and 3,000 rand every single month so that you can pay for your sins. I don't know about you guys, but I can't afford that. Maybe you guys can, but I can't afford that. And so God, being fully aware of this, he sent his son Jesus to be that final sacrifice, to be that atonement, so that when we come before him, it is fully paid by Jesus. In the Lord's Prayer, when we pray, it says, Lord, teach us how to pray. And then there's a specific line that says, Father, forgive our sins as we forgive the sins of others. So within the Lord's Prayer, there's a clause there that forgiveness, us receiving forgiveness from our Heavenly Father is contingent on us forgiving people around us. When we are living in unforgiveness, when we are living in bitterness, when we, are, when we are harboring offense against people, we are blocking ourselves from receiving forgiveness from the Father. Simply because we aren't forgiving the people around us. And though people have hurt us, and it is a legitimate thing that they have hurt us and they have caused us a lot of pain. But when you compare what, you, what that person has done to you versus what you have done to God in offending him with your sin. It is exactly like this parable where we owe God a billion and we refuse to forgive someone who owes us 200 rand. And so God is not pleased with that. Another thing about unforgiveness is that because of our pride, because of our arrogance, we take the position of God when we are living in unforgiveness. And we are holding people in our judgment. We have set the standard and we say, you have not met my standards through your hurts. You have not met my standard through how you've offended me. You have not met my standards through how, through how you have hurt me. And because of that, I am going to hold you in my judgment because of that. But here's the thing. Because of our sin, because of how we've offended God, the standard is so much higher than the standard that we have set. And so forgiveness should be something where we release people from our judgment and release them into God's judgment. Some years ago uh, in my internship, one of the things that made my internship quite difficult was simply because of just my sin. Um, I, 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 I was offended with uh, a leader of mine. Uh, they did nothing wrong. Um, it's just that I was offended just for my own personal reasons. Um, and then I ended up encountering people who were also offended with that leader. And then now all of us now started gossiping together. 
And then this gossip just created a very toxic environment and a very um, toxic atmosphere simply because we're just so offended and our hearts were unyielding in that moment. We were holding this leader in our judgment. And in our eyes, this leader could do no right simply because we had decided that we are going to play God in the situation and we are going to set the moral standard, forgetting that we are sinning against God. In Ephesians 4, uh, it says the following. Uh, Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths. Um, Ephesians 4 from verse 29. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such such as is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And so in our anger and in our bitterness, there was just a corrupting talk that came out. There was a corrupting language that came out. And that just caused the offense and, 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 the, and, the, and the bitterness and the unforgiveness to just keep growing and growing and growing. To a point where it just got really bad. Got so bad, I was like, Lord, I, I can't anymore. I went to my leader and I confessed. And I'm like, hey, this is what's been happening. We've been gossiping. We have been tearing apart your character. We have been saying awful things about you simply because there's a, 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 we believe you have wronged us. But when I actually looked at it, you, you, you did nothing wrong. And it was a beautiful moment of reconciliation between me and my leader simply because I went and I asked for forgiveness. And thankfully, my leader is a godly person and they, they forgave me. But the people who I was gossiping with, they were upset that, man, how dare you expose us? And I had to go back to them and I said, hey, guys. Hey, guys, this is what the word of the Lord says. It says, no corrupting talk come out of you. The talk that we have been speaking, it is so corrupting. I had to repent. I could not continue um, living like that simply because of my unforgiveness and my offense. So I had to uh, say, this is what's been happening, and I, and I repented, and I received forgiveness. And it was a beautiful reconciliatory moment between us and some of those people because I was, I, I, I was, I was telling them that the reason why I, I, I confessed my sins because I was responding to the word of God and not responding to the situation. And so some of them were like, actually, you are right. What we were doing is sinful. It wasn't helpful towards anyone. But um, in that situation, I, I, I went through something traumatic, a friendship breakup. My friend dumped me. One of the things that happen as you grow up, you drift away from people because you move to a different city. Um, or people, you know, they just live somewhere else. And or you get busy and then you just drift away, which is the common way friendships end. But that situation was so bad, my friend said, I can't be a friend with someone like you. You are no longer my friend. You have no right to speak into my life can't even look at me let's not even be in the same room and I was just like wow this is intense but I understood why he did what he did simply because of my sin simply because of of how I treated him in the midst of that situation and so with unforgiveness there are consequences but if we release people from our judgment And not hold them in our judgment and not be the ones to set the moral standard, but allow God and his word to be the one to set the moral standard for us. Then we will see that we all fall short of God's glory. 
And therefore, it is easy to release people from our judgment because we are all under the judgment of God. And that should bring fear and trembling into our souls where we need to run back to God and say, Father, forgive us for we have sinned. Father, I forgive so and so for what they have done simply because not only have they hurt me, but they have also sinned against you. And because they have sinned against you, they are in your judgment. Going back to my father, when, 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 I, when I was going through the scripture and I received that conviction that, man, I need to forgive my father. As soon as I handed over the unforgiveness to God, and I was like, Lord, I release my father into your judgment simply because he sinned against you. He didn't sin against me. He sinned against you. And I forgive him for what he did. All of a sudden, I received compassion from God. And I felt compassion that my father did not know what he was doing. He was responding and living his life from sin. And so, therefore, he hurt me in the process. And I don't know who has hurt you, but they don't know what they were doing. But greater than, I mean, but the thing is, even though they've hurt you, they have sinned against God. And so releasing them from your judgment and releasing them into the judgment of God is something that is liberating and is something that is freeing. Because you don't have to live in unforgiveness and bitterness anymore. But God can be the one to judge them. And as soon as you realize that, man, this person is under the judgment of God, compassion comes into your heart because you realize that God's judgment is way harsher than our judgment. I remember with that situation with my, with my former friends, church became so difficult and so toxic for me simply because there was a group of people who were just so angry and upset at me simply because I decided to come out of that unforgiveness and, and, and that bitterness. And I remember telling my leader that, man, I'm going to leave the church because this is not working out. And he was like, you will do no such thing because your issue is not with the church. Your issue is, is with these people. And you need to forgive them, even though they're gossiping about you now, even though they're tearing your character to shreds and, and, and church is becoming difficult for you, you need to still forgive them. And as soon as I forgave them, a scripture that came was, was, was the Lord saying, vengeance is mine, declares the Lord. I realized that I was holding them in my judgment. As soon as I've released them, all of a sudden they're in God's judgment and God's judgment is harsher. Some years later, that whole friendship group, simply because of God's vengeance, simply God exposed sins that were even bigger than what I was involved in. And I was like, God, your vengeance looks like this? I thank goodness I repented and, and, and came out of agreement with this. Simply because it was brutal. But I'm not even looking at them. I'm like, yeah, you deserve it. You guys hurt me and now this is what you get. No. Because I released them from my judgment, that's not my response. My response is one of compassion. Is that, Lord, forgive them for they know not what they did. Now I move from holding unforgiveness and bitterness and now I am moving towards a place of, of standing in the gap and interceding for their souls so that they can be restored. When Jesus was on the cross, in between two thieves, being put to death for our sins, Jesus said these profound words. He did nothing wrong, but he was there being crucified because the people wanted him dead. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they are doing. Jesus, in that moment, had every single right 
to say, how dare you try and crucify me? I did absolutely nothing wrong. But he didn't. He didn't even try and defend himself. He didn't even try and vindicate himself. He took a, a, a role of standing in the gap for their souls and saying, Father, forgive them for they know not what they are doing because he knows that the vengeance that is from the Lord that is coming over them, it requires someone to stand in the gap and pray for them because ultimately they are sinning against God and not sinning against him, so to speak. Is the same with unforgiveness, that when people hurt us, when people gossip, when people um, put us through the most, they are sinning against God. They are not sinning. I mean, they are ultimately sinning against God, even though they have hurt you. And so your role in that moment is to release them from your judgment and allow them to be judged by God. But again, realizing that the judgment of God is harsh. No one can stand it. And so pray for their souls so that they may be forgiven. And so, as a practical outworking, with our eyes closed and our heads bowed, as Alchad mentioned during worship, think of the person who hurt you. Think of the situation and how it makes you feel. See their emotions. Can you play some ministry music so it can soften people's hearts? <laughs> Think of them. I want you to see them, and I want you to see your pain. I want you to see your unforgiveness. I want you to see your bitterness. I want you to see everything that, you, that is happening in that situation. And I want you to make the choice to forgive. Knowing full well that you have been forgiven of so much sin. And when you are ready, I want you in your heart before the Lord to say, Father, I forgive so and so for what they did to me. after you have earnestly prayed that you forgive them for what they did to you I want you to say and now Father I release them from my judgment and I release them into your judgment Now that you've released them from your judgment, keep in mind you've just been holding this unforgiveness for so long. You've been holding this bitterness for long. You've been holding them in your heart for so long that they have essentially become part of your identity. They've become part of your thought process. They've become part of your emotions. 
And so when you release this, you need something else to be replaced in the space of this. And so ask the Lord that, Father, as I'm releasing this judgment, what is it that you are giving me? As I'm releasing this unforgiveness, as I am releasing this, uh, this bitterness, what are you replacing it with? There are some of you who are going to start to experience peace because the Lord is giving you peace over this situation. There's some of you that the Lord is giving joy simply because this unforgiveness has been a weight in your soul and it has just stolen your joy that you're not even enjoying relationships simply because you just don't trust anymore. But the Lord is restoring your joy. There's some of you the Lord is restoring hope because you've been hurt time and time again and you have lost hope feeling like you can have anyone who you can trust the Lord is restoring hope in your heart there's some of you that the Lord is, is, is giving compassion for that person's soul because that person who hurt you is not a believer and you are aware that because of, the, because of just the sin in their lives because, that they, are, because they are unsaved they are most likely going to hell. But I want to implore and encourage you, especially those who the Lord has given compassion, pray for the people who hurt you. Pray that they receive salvation. Pray that they have an encounter with God before it's too late. We cannot guarantee tomorrow. And I just hear the Lord, Lord urging you to pray for them. Father, thank you for releasing unforgiveness. Thank you for releasing your forgiveness over each and every single person. Thank you for pouring out your love over each and every single person. Thank you, Father, for the people who've been holding on to unforgiveness for a couple of years, Father, that you are proud of them for obeying your word. Thank you, Father, that vengeance is yours and that you will fight for them. That they need not fight, but you'll fight for them. Thank you, Father, for the godly character that you are developing in each and every single person here. Thank you for the deep work of the Holy Spirit. Thank you that you are the great counselor. 
thank you, Father, that we can trust you with our emotions and we can continually come before you with our emotions and lay them at your feet because you care for our hearts. You care for the condition of our hearts. You care for what's happening inside of us. And I pray that we will be bold enough to process all our emotions with you. Whether the emotions are negative or whether the emotions are positive, I pray that we would bring our hearts before you. name of Jesus I pray. Amen. If you need further prayer uh, after the service, please come to the front. There'll be leaders uh, who will be willing um, to pray with you and for you. Thank you.